0: I just want to let you know too, if you're if you're visiting with us and you've not been tracking with the series and you have young children that you're planning on keeping in the service tonight's sermon is an adult conversation sermon, so we'll we'll leave it at that and let you make that decision. But I don't I don't want to be the the person that teaches your kids words that that uh, that they've not heard from you first, so. Uh, So kind of keeping in that line of thought, our giveaways, we've got some more giveaways we want to do. Jim Bell, uh, who attends here, where's Jim? Is he in here? Jim can slip up his hand. Jim has a great book that he's written. It's been out for a little while. It says, is it really possible to become one when men hide lust and women hide money? So this is a great book. I've read it multiple times. It's just, it's rich, rich, rich stuff. And so you can get it on Amazon.com and then also Barnes and Noble on their website. And then it's, you can get it, uh, it's an ebook as well. You can order it through your iPad or your Kindle, whatever you have. So this is how we're going to do it tonight. So somebody who is the closest to getting married, somebody in here who's engaged, you're engaged and your wedding date is the closest one. We're going to give you a book. Anybody? Anybody in here engaged? Anybody? Elena's engaged. Yeah. Anybody else? Scotty and Sabra, but they are not here. So I don't know. Anybody else? Anybody else engaged? All right. Dave and Elena, get a book. Very nice. Nice. Good. All right, this, is, we're, this is the other one. A person who's married, but you've been married the shortest amount of time. A couple who's been married, shortest. How long have you been married? Um, six, months. six months. Anybody can beat six months? Jennifer was at the Williamsburg campus before. You don't get to play, David, because you, you already have this book, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody else, newer than six months? No? All right, Jennifer, this is yours. Nice. They visited the Williamsburg campus last weekend for the first time, found us on the web, and then they were on there. I think, again, I was talking to her before the service, she was like, wow, we drove all the way from Newport News to go to, you have one here, we could just come here. So it's good to have you with us tonight, so it's good to have you with us. So, well, tonight's going to be a, a little bit different of a feel. We're, we're intentionally switching things up a little bit tonight because of our topic of our conversation. And, and um, we, we want tonight to feel like you're in your living room, a place where you feel safe having a conversation with a trusted friend. Is that good? Does that make sense? Because we're, we're going to cover some ground tonight that maybe you've, you've never heard covered in a church before. I'm going to use some words tonight that maybe you've never heard spoken in a church before not because we're trying to be intentionally controversial but because we believe that the church should be in the center of the conversation about sexuality in the world today. And it has not been, which I believe is one of the reasons why the world is suffering from such terrible sexual confusion. So as a church, this series that we're in, we won't back down as part of our way of saying as a church, we're going to stand up courageously and have the kinds of conversations that God put the church in the world to have. Come on. And the City Life Church is going to be one of those churches. It was in a pre-service prayer, I, I, I tweeted that, that the uh, that courage, that, that wisdom is about having the courage, wisdom is about having the courage to live according to what you understand to be true based on the knowledge that you have. There, there's three words that you find repeated in the Bible, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, and sometimes they're used synonymously, but they have each have a very specific meaning. Knowledge is what the Bible says. It's the information that you find in here. Understanding is when you step into a place of having a revelation of what it means for you in a personal way. We like to use the analogy all the time, the Bible says love your enemy. You know that that's in there. But then you understand it, right, with Bob at work who irritates you, right? Now all of a sudden that verse has meaning, right? So you go from knowledge to understanding. Wisdom is when you have the courage to do what it says. We want to be a church that helps you become wise. That you're going to have the courage to live according to what you understand to be true based on the knowledge that you have. The Bible has a lot to say about human sexuality. And one of the reasons why the world suffers from so much sexual confusion is because the world is not putting the knowledge of the Bible out there, and if the church isn't putting the knowledge of the Bible out there, then people aren't going to be able to have the kind of understanding that they need in that area of their life, and they cannot walk in wisdom when it comes to human sexuality. And as a church at the City Life Church, we're going to be a church that says, come on, if it's in this book, it's going to make it into this pulpit, prime time, when we gather for our weekend service. So we did overeating, we did overworking, tonight we're doing oversexing, and then uh, next weekend we're going to do overspending as we track through this sermon series together. So let me open up with a quote, it's one of my favorite quotes by an author, whose name is Abraham Heschel, it's in his book, The Prophets, and this is what he writes, an idea or a theory of God can easily become a substitute for God, impressive to the mind, when God as a living reality is absent from the soul. To the prophets, God was overwhelmingly real and shatteringly present. To the prophets, God was overwhelmingly real and shatteringly present. We want to be a church that helps people discover and encounter a God who is overwhelmingly real and shatteringly present. A living person in your life passion-filled, moment-by-moment governing, come on, a relationship with a God and a deity, a sovereign creator of the universe who says he wants to be your father. And an undeniable presence in your day, every day, throughout all your life. And so, the sermon series, we've been drawing from the, the imagery of the 100th anniversary of the Titanic. It sank in, in April, right, of, of, of 1912. And, and we use this imagery for the sermon series. We won't back down because after the tragedy of the sinking of the Titanic, that the transatlantic travel didn't end, shipbuilding industry didn't end, pleasure cruises didn't end, right? You might be here tonight and say, Fred, You know, I've been dealing with sexual issues my whole entire life, and I have always failed. Every time I've tried to to be transformed in an area of my life that I know that God needs to touch. And what we're saying in this series on overeating, overworking, and tonight oversexing is that your past failures do not have to define your future come on, that tomorrow is going to be a new day and we're believing that some of you are going to walk out of here because of what you learn, because of what you understand, that there's going to be a new sense of courage, that you have a new sense of confidence to conquer an area of your life that you know needs to be conquered. So this idea we won't back down isn't just for us as a church as a theme to say we're going to have the hard conversation. It's for you to say that you are not going to give up, that you're not going to back down, even though you have failed continually in a certain area of your life, that you are not going to back down from the call that God has on your life to have victory over every area of your life that he has something to say about. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 139. We're going to be working out of Psalm 139 a little bit tonight. Each one, I'm going to read the first couple of verses. It's, I'm going to start in verse seven, and then each verse is kind of kind of set off each of our points. And I'm going to teach you three new I am statements. So when we did overeating, we did three I am statements, right? Hope that you've been using those I am statements. Every time you sit down to eat, you're saying, I am in control. I am on loan, right? Your body's on loan, and I am his home, that you're practicing living out those truths. So I want to give you three I am statements that deal with your sexuality. The first one is this, as I am created. We're going to start with I am created. Then we're going to go to I am celibate. Even if you're married, I'm going to talk about how celibacy has relevance to your marriage. There are some wives that said, praise the Lord, he's finally going to leave me alone, right? I am created, I am celibate, I'm celibate, and the last one is I'm consecrated. I'm going to talk about what each of those mean. If you are going to have a healthy sexual identity, if you're going to have a hope of vibrant sexual experiences, then you need to understand what each of these mean and how they apply to your life. Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Are you ready? All right, here we go. There's also going to be on each slide that in advance. Can you put the next one up there for me, Caitlin? Each of these slides have some clues that are embedded on, there's, I think there's about 12 of them that, uh, that, that, that kind of uh, set up where we're going to be at the end. So in case you get tired of listening to me, you can uh, try to figure out what each one of those slides are saying. Okay. Verse 7. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike for you. Those are powerful verses. What's David talking about there? He's talking about a God who's overwhelmingly real and shatteringly present. You can read those words and say they're poetic. You can read those words and say that it's hyperbole. You can read those words and say it's just that the the psalmist there, David, is just given to exaggeration. But we believe that this book was inspired by the Spirit of God, even though lots of people wrote it through many generations. Everything that's in here came from God's heart, and He is trying to give you and He's trying to give me a vision of the kind of relationship that He wants you to have. These words by David are not intended to be threatening, they're intended to be inviting. They're not supposed to threaten you to say you can't hide from God. They're supposed to promise you no matter where you go, he can be overwhelmingly real and shatteringly present. And the problem that we have is even if we embrace that in truth, we overcompartmentalize our lives. And this is what we say as followers of Christ. I want God to be overwhelmingly real and shatteringly present here, but I'm not so excited about him being overwhelmingly real and shatteringly present over here. Because when God's present in your life, He's a talker. Do you have any friends who are talkers? Right? They have something to say about every situation, whether or not you want to hear what they have to say or not, right? And they are convinced that you absolutely need to hear what they have to say in order for you to survive in this world. Right? That's God, and you know what? He's right. You need to hear what he has to say, and he always has something to say in every part of your life. So we get comfortable with him here, but there might be certain areas, especially our sexuality, where we, we don't want God in this area of our life. I'm telling you, you want God in that area of your life. You need to have a healthy sexual identity. And one day when you're married, we we do premarital counseling with married couples. We say, if God created, that's where we're gonna go now, I'm created because God created sexuality, he should know how sexuality should be explored in its best possible ways. That followers of Christ should be breaking the pleasure barrier in this world, and any perversion that the world has to offer is a second best to everything that God wants to give to you. I am created. Come on, say, I am created. I am created, Psalm 139, 13 through 14. So I'm created, then we're going to talk about I am celibate, and then we're going to talk about I am consecrated. You want God to be overwhelmingly real and shatteringly present in every area of your life, especially your sexuality. All right, verse 13, listen to what it says. For it was you who created my inward parts, You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. In some translations, it's fearfully and wonderfully made, if you've heard that before. Your works are wonderful, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. You were created by God. Every part of you was created by God. Every single part of who you are in the beginning of time when God was having a dream in his heart of creating humanity, every capacity that you have, every part of who you are was put there with intention by the sovereign creator of the universe. There has got to be something inside of us that has an unwavering trust that all of who I am was created by God, nothing accidental, nothing unintended. If we're not careful, we begin to adopt a mindset and a belief that says, I can recognize that maybe the, the part of me that, in, that, 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 uh, that has the capacity to love the poor that God put there. I can, I can embrace the idea that, that, that my ability to worship with expression, like we love to do, come on, here at the City Life Church, that, that God put that in me. My ability to be generous. We think about virtues that are popular. But, but most of us, right, aren't, aren't, don't grow up in a church and in a family and a world where, where people are saying to us, God created you to be a sexual person. Did you have a flannel story like that in Sunday school? Right? I didn't have a flannel story like that in Sunday school. every part of who you are. When we begin to embrace the reality that I am created by God and everything about me was created by Him, it gives you a sense of freedom to celebrate every part of who you are, and it should also create an incredible curiosity in you that says, if God created these things in me, then what does He have to say about it? And if He's perfect and He created me with these capacities, especially the capacity for pleasure, that There should be something inside of you that says, I bet God knows how to experience this part, for me to experience and express this part of who I am, better than anybody else in the universe. There should be a curiosity and hunger inside of us to say, God, this idea of my human sexuality, tell me what this is about. And this is why we have a problem with that oftentimes, because we know God's eternal. And so because he's eternal, we think that he's old. Right? Come on. It's a quick step, isn't it? We think of him as father time, and that's not necessarily the person that you want to go to with your questions about sexuality. But God's eternal, but he's not old, he's not outdated, and he's certainly not prudish because sexuality is something that he created, and it's a great gift that he's given to people. It's a great gift that he's given to people. He should be the first person that you want to have a conversation with about sexuality. He should be the first person that you want to have a conversation with about pleasure. He should be the first person that you want to have a conversation with to say, God, I want to understand the sexuality that you have put in me and that I want to be someone that experiences the kind of depths of pleasure that you created me to have and I bet you know exactly how I'm supposed to get there. And he's going to say to you, I've been waiting for you to come ask me those questions. And it might be that you've been asking those questions and that's one of the reasons, come on, why you're here tonight. He's eternal. So so if you were the person that was in charge of the focus group in heaven, right, when God was creating the universe, he's got all these project teams, right, that are working, and he gave these angels over here, right? I'm making this up, we don't know. But he's got these angels, but it s- serves my message, so we're going to pretend. He's got these angels over here, and their job is they need to come up with a name for the first geographically identified, identified place in the world. So he's going to create all these cities, he's going to create all these places, and God says, okay, you all, I'm giving you, you've got to come up with the first name. The first name. So in the book of Genesis, in the beginning there, we know that there is a place called the Garden. It was east of Eden. Very first place. Now, if you were on that team, what what would be some of the ideas that you would come up with, right? Think about, you had the opportunity to name the very first city. In the universe Eden in the Hebrew means pleasure yeah it means pleasure it means pleasure right at the very beginning God is saying to the world I am gonna give you a capacity to experience something that's called pleasure you don't even know what that means yet but I'm gonna give you this ability pleasure with food, pleasure with your sexuality, pleasure by pleasure by appreciating beauty, pleasure with emotional intimacy, all the ways that, 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 that you're going to experience pleasure, I put every single one of them inside of you by my design. It was my intention. And as we begin to read the story of creation, God is saying to us over and over and over and over that your capacity for pleasure, it's sacred. That your capacity for pleasure is one of God's greatest gifts that he wants to give to you, right? Some of us have this view of God that he created Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden, they're naked, they're in a perfect place, and then all of a sudden he says, oh, I didn't know they were going to be able to do that, right? Oh, oh my, oh my! Which project team was responsible for this, right? We cannot have a view of God that way. He's either sovereign or he's not. Everything that he does, he does with great intentionality. The capacity that you have for physical pleasure was a gift that the creator of the universe, he gave to you, and he gave it to me. So we view Adam and Eve in the garden. This is one of the problems we have, too. We're trying to break some myths tonight. We confuse the word innocence with naive. We get those words mixed up. If you were here last week, we talked about everybody who's a great preacher. You get to make up words, right? Right? in Hebrews 4. My wife, she's a great preacher. She likes to make up words. She made up one tonight during announcements, right? Did Anybody pick up on it? Pervaded, right? That's a pervasive invasion. God wants to be pervaded in your life, right? I leaned over to, I leaned over to Nick. I said, you need to write that down. That's a great new word. We're going to start throwing that around the City Life Church all the time. When we were first married, one of her, one of her favorite words, I'm already in trouble, so I might as well just keep going, right? I say there's no brake pedal, right? Just push on the gas harder. So when we first got married, the word that she liked to use all the time was monumentous. Isn't that a great word? Just feels good on the tongue. Monumentous. That's when monumental and momentous individually by themselves are not enough. So you put both of them together. Monumentous, right? When you have a pervaded experience with God, it's monumentous in your life. So So we confuse the word... Innocent with naive. There was nothing naive about Adam and Eve. They were not naive. God created them as intelligent, thinking, feeling people. They were perfect in the beginning. That's one of the great tragedies of the teaching of evolution as it causes us to think that we're more advanced than who came before us. Adam and Eve were perfect from day one. Thinking, feeling, intelligent and we look at them as naive. We say, well, maybe they had sexual experiences with one another, but they, 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 they really didn't know what they were doing. That was just part of procreation. They were just, it was just instinctive. That's not what I believe. Come on. You ever, you ever stop to think that everything in the Bible that's instructive, like we say, when you really take a look at the story of the Garden of Eden, it's a pretty sexual story. He calls it Pleasure. The people are naked, right? The people are naked, and he has given them from day one. Yeah, come on. You should be saying amen there. He's given them from day one the capacity to experience pleasure. And part of what's happening is the world's idea of sexuality has come in and created a, a, a false picture of what true sexuality should be. And it, so, so it causes us to be uncomfortable to engage that conversation. And, and that's exactly what the world needs from us. They need to know that God's not prudish, that he's not old, and their capacity for pleasure was something that was given to them by God. They need to have a revelation of, I am created, and there should be a curiosity that begins to well up inside of them that says, God, if you created this thing, this experience that I can have, then I want to know how you want me to experience it and live it out. And then Adam and Eve were not naive in the garden. They were innocent. So your children, your young children, they should be naive. They should be. They should be naive when it comes to human sexuality. Your teenagers, they should be innocent. You understand the difference? You should be naive. Young children should not be fully aware of sexuality, right? If if you're talking to young children, they have an understanding and awareness of sexuality, then parents are not respecting certain boundaries that are being violated in their life. Your teenagers, they shouldn't be naive, but they should be innocent. That issue of a full understanding, of full awareness of sex. The things that we're going to be talking about tonight, maybe no one's talked to you like we're going to talk to you tonight. Hopefully part of it, the outcome is it's going to empower you to begin to have these kinds of conversations with your children because other people are having these conversations. You need to be the one that puts the stamp of their sexual identity on their life. It needs to come from this book, not out in that world. So let me tell you what I believe one of the very first conversations was. We're going to probably get off the clock a little bit tonight. <clears throat> this is one of the first conversations I think happened in the beginning of time. So it's day seven, right? It's the very first Sabbath day. We talked about overworking last week. It's the very first Sabbath day. They wake up, right? Adam and Eve wake up Sunday morning. They're naked. They're in a place called pleasure. And Eve says to Adam, hey, the father says we can't work in the garden today. What do you want to do? If if you're married, you've seen an expression on your husband's face, right? So then Eve says to Adam, okay, yeah, but after that. And then he says, (laughs) right? There's got to be something in us that's able to read into this book and not pretend like people didn't want to have sex with each other. There's got to be a part of us that reads in this book and says, you know what? They were sexual beings, and their sexuality was one of God's greatest gift to them. The Bible tells us that there's not going to be some things in heaven. There's not going to be marriage in heaven, right? There's not going to be children. We're not going to be with each other and have children. There's no indication there's going to be any type of sexual experience in heaven. I think that God said, hey, let's make part of this human experience some things that aren't going to be a part of eternity. But 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 even so, let's just make this world wonderful for them. Let's just... Let's just give them some experiences that, that are just going to be treasures, even though they're going to be able to only experience them. When you think about eternity, you're like this life is just like a grain of sand, but let's fill that grain of sand with wonder and awe. Let's give them the capacity for pleasure. I was a business economics major, and one of the first things that they teach you is that scarcity determines value. You ever stop to think that some of the the scarcity of the human experience of this life that we're not going to experience in heaven, that God made it that way to help us understand how absolutely valuable and treasured they are to him. And he wants us to drink deep from this world. All right, if you've got your Bible, let's turn to Genesis 2. So take a left turn in your Bible. Genesis 2, verse 19. So, so the Lord God formed out of the ground each wild animal and each bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and every animal. But for the man, no helper was found who was like him. So the Lord caused the deep sleep to come over him. So wives, when we fall asleep in the recliner in front of the TV, it's godly. Cause the deep sleep to come over him. And he slept, and God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at the place, and the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into the woman, made her into the woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and this one will be called woman because she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked and they felt no no shame. Not because they were naive, but because they were innocent. Because they were innocent. God gave Adam the responsibility to name all the animals in the world because he wanted him to have a revelation of the deep need that he had. The deep need that he had to not be alone in the world. And all the ways that marriage brings an incredible gift to us. One of the great gifts that God wants us to have in marriage is for there to be an expression and a fulfillment of our sexuality. And so he gives Adam this job because he wants Adam at the end of this job. Not that God couldn't name the animals himself, right? He's teaching him. Anytime God gives you a job, it's not because he just needs the work to be done, right? Because he could do the work himself. He's trying to teach you something along the way, And he's trying to teach Adam this lesson. You need this woman that I'm going to give you for so many reasons. It's a whole sermon series unto itself, but I want you to share with each other. It's why of all the things that that text that's inspired by God could have ended with, and they were, right? God picks and they were naked. Why? Because he's trying to help us to understand that we were created, that he created us with a capacity for pleasure. It's given to us. You and I were created by God. All right, let's talk about I am celibate. Psalm 139, 24. Psalm 139, 24. See if there is any offense, offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. We must have an unwavering trust in God that all his don'ts, that's all the stuff that he says don't do, right? All of his don'ts are to rescue us from mediocrity and not trap us there. Everything he tells us not to do, it's to rescue us from mediocrity and not trap us there. This is one of the resources I want to mention to you tonight. This is one of my all-time favorite books. It's called Sex, Men, and God by Doug Weiss. You've heard me reference that many times before if you've been tracking with this church for any amount of time, but, but Doug Weiss, Sex, Men, and God. So one of the things that he talks about in this book is that he a, he's a, 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 has a Ph.D., and he talks about the chemistry of the brain. So I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine that if I had some Play-Doh, And I flattened that Play-Doh out and and got it nice and smooth and clean, and I had uh, uh, the ushers give everybody in here some Play-Doh and had you flatten it out and roll it out. Then everybody would take something from their pocket and and press it into the Play-Doh. You would press it into the Play-Doh, and then we would have all the Play-Doh lined up. You'd be able to walk through, and you would be able to say, that's a coin, right? That's a key. That's a credit card number. Let me write that down. Four, three, right? Everything that's in here, you'd be able to distinguish. What if we only had one piece of Play-Doh? that we flattened out. And everybody in here made an impression on that one piece of Plato. How distinguishable would each mark be? It would be absolutely indistinguishable. In fact, we would use the word marred, marred, that Plato's marred. And what what Doug Weiss talks about in this book is that because you were created, it's why we started there, because you were created by God, everything about your sexuality was created by God, even the way that it relates to the chemical makeup of your brain. And you and I have a brain that has what's called a pleasure center, and that part of your brain is given to you in regards to your sexuality for you to train it. It's just like the Play-Doh. All the scientific research is out there now. It's just like the Play-Doh. So when God says to you, wait until you're married before you engage in any type of sexual experiences, it's not because he's old and outdated and prudish and doesn't want you to have fun. It's because he's setting you up for sexual success. He wants you to be a person that breaks the pleasure barrier because he created you with the capacity for sexual pleasure and he is trying to teach you the way that you can experience sexuality the way that he designed it the best way possible because he's a perfect God. So he gives you a brain that when you begin to experience sexual uh, encounters with your spouse, that there's an imprint that literally is made on the pleasure center of your brain. And if there's other imprints that are already there, then those imprints compete with your spouse's ability for you to share pleasure with one another. Does that make sense? So this idea of virginity that, that we have in the, the, in the world today, that it's only about not having intercourse, and there's an, that's important, we're going to get to that, it sets up young people to say this, well, if I'm just not doing this one thing, it's okay for me to do everything else over here, right? You hang out in high school, they're going to tell you that. Young people, they just there's a line that they say we're not going to cross, but everything on this side of intercourse, that all this is fair game, right? But what they don't understand is that everything else that they're doing over here makes an imprint, it makes an imprint, it makes an imprint, it makes an imprint, it makes an imprint. And so they step into marriage and they, they wonder why they're frustrated. They, they wonder why that, that it's, maybe their sexual relationship is troublesome. It's because they have a marred imprint and their spouse is competing with all of those other imprints that are on their brain. That's how God made you, right? He made you and his instruction is to release you into the great depths of pleasure that he wants you to discover this side of heaven, this side of heaven. Now, this is the genius of God. So you might be here tonight and say, "Well, Fred, you know, I've got a marred imprint. I might as well just give up now." You see, that's the, the 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 genius of God. Is that that part of your brain? It can be resurfaced. It's powerful, isn't it? That's why celibacy is so important. He calls us to a place of celibacy in our in our in our sexuality because he wants us to step into marriage with a smooth imprint so that we can experience the kind of sexual success that he wants you and I to have. So if you're here tonight and you have just lived this life of where you've had multiple multiple sexual encounters, then you step into a place of celibacy now, and then over time, what begins to happen? We've seen it happen so many times in so many people's lives that the pleasure part of your brain it just begins to be resurfaced. It's like the play-doh gets rolled back out on the table and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and so that in time when you step back into a romantic relationship with a person that you can spend the rest of your life with the memory of those other sexual encounters are there but it's not instructing the chemistry of your brain like it would have been if you had not waited long enough it's powerful isn't it it's powerful so this is why we say every person in this room should be willing to say i'm celibate even if you're married you should be practicing celibacy what does that mean? It means that you live a life, you live a life to say I'm gonna protect my imprint. It means that you're not watching sexually suggestive programming on TV. It means that, that, that you're, for men, especially for men, that you're protecting your eyes, what you stare at, what you linger with in thought. Any experience that you step into as a human being that is sexually arousing and sexually fulfilling, it puts an imprint on your brain. Puts an imprint. So even if you're married, you're practicing celibacy of sorts in the sense that you're saying, I am going to be a guardian of the imprint that God has given to me. And the only person that's going to make any type of an impression on that imprint is going to be my spouse. I, w- I don't want it to be through a life of fantasy. I don't want it to be, be through a life of staring. That's why pornography is so terribly tragic in marriages today because it keeps putting imprint after imprint on the person's sexuality that competes with their spouse. We want you to wake up tomorrow and say, I've been given an imprint, and there is nothing is going to be pressed into that imprint except my spouse. And if I'm not married, I'm saving it for them. I'm saving it for them, not because God's a prude, not because he's outdated, because he's trying to set you up for sexual success, and you've got to decide, do I trust that the creator of the universe knows what he's talking about? All right, I'm celibate. It's not about your brain. It's about your physical body. So you've heard the the concept of muscle memory before. If you've ever been an athlete, if you've ever been on a sports team, you know that there's repetition, right? You're, you're going through the fundamentals. Why? Because the coach is trying to give you muscle memory. That if, if, you, if you're in the military, you understand muscle memory. If you've worked in security before, right, you understand muscle memory. That You, you do things repetitively because your body begins to establish a memory so that it's, just, it's conditioned to respond in certain circumstances. So this is another reason why the practice of celibacy even in marriage is so important because if you step into moments of self-gratification, you're establishing a pattern, you're establishing a pattern of muscle memory in your body. Whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, Mark Gunger and Laughing Your Way to a Better Marriage. It's an incredible series. We just finished in our life groups. We're doing them throughout every year. It's a powerful series. He talks about this concept of muscle memory that you can condition your body to respond in certain ways, and your body should be conditioned by your spouse, not yourself, or not anybody else in the world. Any patterns of muscle memory that are established in the parts of your body that can be sexually aroused should be by your spouse and your spouse alone. God created muscle memory not just so that you could play baseball. Come on. He created muscle memories because he's trying to set you up for sexual success. So by the way, who came up with the baseball analogy anyways to talk about sexuality? I was thinking about that today, right? First base, second base, third base. Isn't that a little ridiculous, right? Who came up with that? Do they still use that today? Right, first base, second base? Yeah, third base, right. You don't even want to be in the parking lot of the baseball game unless you're married to that person. The body that God gave to you was created by God. And He created you to be able to experience pleasure in ways that are beyond earthly language, in ways that are beyond the ability for humanity to even articulate and comprehend. And that was his gift to you. And there should be something inside of us that says, God, I trust that you knew what you were talking about. And he wants your sexual identity to be defined by him, and he wants your sexual experience to be one where we could say, I'm experiencing a taste of Eden in the here and now. Come on, heaven on earth. I am created, and I am celibate. I am created, and I am celibate. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. all oh, these are good verses. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have authority over her own body, but her husband does. Equally, a husband does not have authority over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another except when you agree for a time. Then he gives an example to devote yourselves to prayer. You might, as a married couple, set aside your sexual relationship for a time. I read over that part of the Bible when we're reading through the Bible in a year. Quickly. I read it like this. This is Listen to what he says. This is Paul. Then come together again, otherwise Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul is saying right here, hey, This idea of your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to your spouse. And if you're not married, it belongs to the person you're going to one day spend the rest of your life with. And when he's talking about your body, he's just not talking about your physical body, he's talking about your sexual imprint. He's talking about your physical body in the sense of your muscle memory, but he's also talking about the part of your brain. They didn't even understand, come on, the science of the chemistry of the brain in Paul's day, but now we understand it today and we can look back and read these verses and say, wow, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wow, they were getting some good advice. Your body, your imprint, it belongs to your spouse, and it should belong to them, and it should belong to them alone. All right, let's do the last one. I'm consecrated. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, 16. It says, Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and plan before a single one of them began. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and plan before a single one of them began. We must have an unwavering trust in God that he has a perfect plan for my life. That I don't want to miss not one page, not one book. And that he holds the key to my taste of Eden now, heaven on earth, and Eden-esque existence. So Matthew 6.33 says this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. All things, including sexual pleasure. When Jesus made that statement, right, he wasn't compartmentalizing it. It it wasn't leaving out all these other areas of, of our human experience. He was saying to you and I, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek God's plan, and all things will be added unto you. And all things means everything, every experience, every capacity that God has created you with, and it certainly means your sexuality. So listen to this I found on a medical website this week. It says sometimes we feel hungry when all our body really wants is a glass of water. Dehydration is often mistaken for hunger. It's estimated that 75% of Americans go through life chronically dehydrated. Before you grab a handful of chips or a snack, try having a glass of water and see if that calms your hunger down. I share that with you, and this idea of being consecrated is because one of the problems that we have in the world today is that, is, is that we have appetite confusion. What does that mean? Well, you can relate to it maybe through overeating. For many of us, we have a problem with overeating because we're emotionally dehydrated. We're emotionally dehydrated. We have emotional needs that aren't being met, And then we try to fill that through our physical appetite. You tracking? Does that make sense? So every one of the appetites that God has given to you, that's why we're calling this when I'm consecrated, that you have a responsibility to consecrate. We understand that word. It means to set something apart. To consecrate something is to set it aside. It's sacred. That we're responsible for it. Every appetite that's been given to you by God, you have a responsibility to say, I'm going to consecrate that appetite. I'm I'm going to care for this appetite in a way that God intended for me to live. So if you're not caring for your sexual appetite in the way that god intended then you're going to be out of control in some other areas of your life by the same token if you're not taking care of these appetites over here it could be your sexual appetite is the one that's out of control so one of those is emotional dehydration if if your emotional needs are not being met in your life your sexual appetite is going to be out of control especially within the context of romantic relationships It's one of the reasons why God says to wait in marriage is because he wants you and I to learn how to take care of our emotional needs outside of a sexual relationship. Because of your imprint, because of your physical body, but also because he understands, come on, he's the creator of the universe, this idea of appetite confusion. So when we're meeting with young couples who are thinking about getting involved in a romantic relationship, another great book that we give to them to read is by Dr. John Van Epp. It's How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk, right? Anybody here we've given that book to? You've read that? Come on. How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk. And he talks about how hearts are attached to one another he calls it the relationship attachment model and he says you you first spend time getting to know each other and after you get to know each other that that you begin to establish trust for one another and after you begin to establish trust for one another you begin to rely on one another and you begin to commit to one another and then you can begin to touch one another and you think about each of those categories as slides in the sense that these slides over here should never be higher than these slides over there does that make sense So you shouldn't be relying on someone beyond what you've come to trust them. You shouldn't trust someone beyond how you've gotten to know them. Does that make sense? They work in sequence. So this is what happens in the world. You go to a party, right? You leave with that person. You hook up. There's lots of touching involved. And because there's lots of touching involved, you say, well, you know, over time, because you keep touching, we should probably be in a committed relationship with one another. And because we're in a committed relationship with each other, we begin to rely on each other, and because we rely on each other, we say, well, I should probably begin to trust that person, and then you get to know them, and you don't like them, and you break up, and you start the cycle all over again, right? The world operates in the complete reverse. Many of you, you've operated in the complete reverse of that. So one of the reasons why, come on, this book teaches us, as Van Epp really lays out, is that we invest all of our time beginning in that relationship. There's no touching. There's just knowing. We get to know each other. And you begin to walk through those paces, and you never stop getting to know each other. Vanessa and I have been married for 15 years. We're just going to keep getting to know each other. We're, we're eternal, right? There's, there's always something new to discover. So this journey of knowing, and then there's this, this experience where, where we begin to feel trust for one another, and you begin to rely on each other, and you begin to commit to each other. And then after you're married, then there's the touch side. There's, there's touching that's non-sexual. That's hard for us as guys to understand, but there is touching that's non-sexual, right? There's holding hands, there's, there's your arm around each other, there's a, there's a hug, there's, there's all kinds of touching that's warm, that communicates affection, that's non-sexual. The sexual touching doesn't start until after you're married, for the reasons that we already talked about, but one of the most important reasons the touching isn't supposed to start until after your marriage is that you are supposed to be during your dating and engagement relationship, you're supposed to be developing your ability to connect with each other emotionally. Because God wants your emotional life to be rock solid before you step into your marriage. Because if not, your sexual appetite, once it's unleashed, will be out of control. That all these other appetites over here it need to be intact before this one's safe to let out of the cage. Does that make sense? It's the genius of heaven. Do we trust Him or do we not? Do we trust Him or do we not? Spiritual dehydration is another reason why people's sexual appetite is out of control. You you hear us, if you've been tracking with us for any amount of time, we have 12 pathways that we talk about. If those 12 pathways are not an active part of your life, then you are spiritually dehydrated. And if you are spiritually dehydrated, you are at risk of your other appetites being out of control. We want to be a church that helps you to begin to live under this banner I am consecrated. And that every appetite that God has given to me, that I am going to care for it, I'm going to nurture it, the needs that I have, I'm going to make sure that they're met. And the balance that they're supposed to be met, because this one, especially this one, my capacity for pleasure, especially sexual pleasure, should be something that I should cherish it should be something that I celebrate, and it should be something that God can look at me and say, you're experiencing the kinds of pleasure that I wanted you to have when I put you into this world. One of the reasons why, one of the reasons why people struggle with alternative lifestyles. If you're here tonight and you, you struggle with homosexuality or, or alternative lifestyles of, of, of various sorts, it's because all the things that we're talking about, no one ever took time to teach you these things, right? And so during your adolescent years, you begin to experiment with lots of different kinds of things. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself experimenting with some same-sex encounters. And you know what you're doing? You're making an imprint on your brain. You're establishing a pattern of muscle memory. Oftentimes, when you begin to explore an alternative lifestyle, you've got some other appetites. You've got some other appetites that are out of control. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself just being absolutely confused. But confusion is always born because there's not knowledge and there's not understanding that gives way to wisdom. It's important that we teach our children the things that we're teaching you tonight for their own sake, for their own well-being, because not only do we want them to be able to experience the depths of pleasure that God intended for you and I to have, but we want our children to be able to engage a culture with truth. Not in a condemning way, but in a liberating way. The message of the church should not be one of condemnation. It should be one of an invitation to liberty. When the truth of everything that's in this book is laid out before the world and they hear it maybe sometime for the first time and they realize, wow, my life is so different from that, it should be done in such a way that it says, but I want what this book says. There's a revelation that says this is the better way. And the church has got to be willing to step up and engage and step into the middle of the conversation of sexuality that's happening in the world today. That you were created by God for pleasure. You were created by him for pleasure. And that if you would put the boundaries in that he's given you and he's given me, then you're gonna be on your way You're going to be on your way to a depth of pleasure that you're going to be able to say, this must have been a glimpse of what it was like in Eden. And as you begin to consecrate every appetite of your life, every area of your life, every area of your life that he's given you to steward over, you begin to step into a place of balance that just releases you into a place of freedom that God wants you to discover. It's interesting that when the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he began to tempt him with his appetite. You ever notice that? He tempts him with his physical appetite. He attempts him with his emotional appetite. He's probing, he's testing the waters. Is there something that's out of balance in his life? And Jesus stood strong for many reasons on that day, but one of the reasons why he stood strong, because his life was absolutely consecrated in every way. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted, but he never gave in to those temptations, not one time because every part of his life was consecrated. And what we hope is happening for you tonight is that you're able to step into a place of consecration that releases you to discover and live the life that God intended you to live. All right, I'm going to invite you to stand. So any takers on some of the clues that have been up there tonight? Any guesses? Song of Solomon. Solomon. Very nice. Anybody else figure that out? Right? Come on. That's the Latin word for the Song of Songs. The Hebrew one was up there. I don't know how many we got to, but one of the most sexually explicit poems that's ever been written in the history of the world. You know who wrote it? God. God. Yep. Because we believe everything in this book was inspired by the creator of the universe. Everything in this book was inspired by the creator of the universe. It's one of the most romantic and sexual poems ever to be written. was in 965 B.C. by Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Song of Solomon. And of all the metaphors God could have chosen to describe our relationship with Christ, it's in this book that we're reminded that we're his bride. So, Father, we stand before you tonight as a church family, And we want to be a church that says we won't back down. We want to be a church that helps bring clarity to people's view of sexuality. We want to be a church that that helps to bring clarity to, to how you created them and how you made us, how you made me. And that every part of who we are, every capacity that we have is a treasured gift that you have given to us. And that we, as followers of Christ, want to be a voice in this world that celebrates the capacity for pleasure that you have given to us, trusting and believing always and forevermore, always and forevermore, that you are the one who knows how to live this life best. That you are the one who knows how to experience the depth of this existence that is humanly possible. And so we say to you tonight, God, have your way. In all the areas that we lack knowledge, Father, come on. Let there be a journey that we begin to go on. If it's in this area of our sexuality, we begin to study and search and find the truth that you have there, that you want to speak into our lives, That's going to bring about meaning and understanding so that we can walk in a place of wisdom and have the courage to live the life that you've called us to live. A life that you've called us to live. A life that you've called us to live. Not because you're trying to rob us of goodness, but because you're trying to protect us from mediocrity. And anything that the world has to offer that's different from what you're, from what you're telling, that there will be something inside of us that says, I'm not ever going to settle for less. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said, amen. We'll see you next week.